Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Proverbs chapter 4. We'll be, read, we'll be reading the entire chapter. Please find your way there and follow along as I read. Proverbs chapter 4. Hear, O sons, the father's instructions, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender and only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast, fast my words. Keep my command. Sorry. Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you, if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the path of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it, do not go in it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have, done, uh, unless they have made someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines bright and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like the deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them with your, within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far, far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. I want to invite you to keep your Bibles open to uh, Proverbs chapter 4 with me and follow along as we work through this text this morning. I'm wondering how many of you are ever bored. Any of you ever bored? I see a few hands out there. Do you ever have trouble paying attention? Um, I would suggest that even those who are most notorious for not paying attention have no problem paying attention to something that really piques their interest. A young student who is bored in the classroom 
can be easily distracted by anything and everything, so much so that he often misses important instructions that come from the teacher. Um, But give him his favorite video game on Xbox or Nintendo Switch, and you can be assured that he will be laser-focused on that game, so much so that he won't hear his mother call him for dinner. Now, Proverbs gives repeated appeals to pay attention. Uh, Again and again, we are told to listen. Uh, Not because we lack the ability to be focused, but because we tend to focus on the wrong things. Proverbs wants to correct that. Proverbs wants you to be attentive to wisdom. And in chapter 4, Solomon gives us three reasons for doing so. Number one, be attentive to wisdom, to know wisdom. Number two, be attentive to wisdom, to walk in wisdom. And number three, be attentive to wisdom, to desire wisdom. I want you to know that you, you can't, in your own natural sinful state, do this. You you must first be rescued by Jesus. It it takes being alive in Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to develop a desire for wisdom. We'll talk a little bit more in a minute about that, but know that if you're here this morning and you desire wisdom... It really reveals that God has given you a new heart that desires that wisdom. Uh, The story is told about a couple of young boys who will remain unnamed, who grew up in our old church building down on Main Street, counting the ceiling tiles during the sermon on Sunday mornings. Now, do you know how much concentration it actually took to count all of those ceiling tiles. There are a lot of ceiling tiles there, and it took a lot of attention, but to the wrong thing. Solomon wants you to be attentive to wisdom, to know wisdom. Uh, verse 1 begins by saying, Hear, O sons. Now, notice that Solomon doesn't say, Hear my son, as he normally does. He says, Hear, O sons, plural. And he doesn't say my son, but O sons. I think Solomon seems to be expanding his audience. But either way, the Spirit intends this command to be for you. And the command is to hear a father's instructions. So all of us learn wisdom as a child being taught by a wise father. And in doing so, in verse 1, we see that the word for instruction refers to correction which results in education. Um, It's not negative or punitive because God's corrective discipline seeks the reformation of his people. Uh, The truth is no one knows everything and no one always does everything right and As people redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, we are in the process of being transformed by the Holy Spirit. And that 
happens as our minds are renewed according to the Scripture. So none of us, none of us should be surprised that we need instruction or we need correction or that we need corrective discipline by a wise father. The command is to hear instruction of a wise father and to be attentive that you may gain insight. Uh, Insight comes not just from a head full of knowledge, but really from the right use of knowledge. Insight is the power of judgment and perception and is demonstrated in the right use of knowledge. Uh, So it's one thing for us to know that a soft word turns away wrath and a harsh word stirs up anger, like our armor verse for this month. It's another thing to perceive exactly when a gentle word rather than a harsh word is needed. I mean, how many times have you, only in hindsight, recognized how a gentle word would have been much better at resolving a conflict? Um, Proverbs 25.11 says, a word fitly spoken or appropriately spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. So we, we can know that it's true, but it takes wisdom and insight to know what to say and when to say it and how to say it to be really the greatest help. And then, of course, sometimes it's better to not even speak. Uh, Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Or consider Proverbs 18.13, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. So you can have a head full of truth, but it takes wisdom and insight to know how to use words, and even our silence. Uh, to best serve others for the sake of Christ. Now, Solomon goes on in verse 2 when he says, for I give you good precepts. Uh, He says, hear this, be attentive to this. What I give you is good, it will be good for you. you. You need this. What I teach you will enable you to rightly perceive and understand what is best in the nitty gritty details of life. And so Solomon says at the end of verse 2, do not forsake my teaching. Hear it. Keep it. It's good for you. And and Solomon says this even as he remembers his father, King David, teaching him. Uh, Verse 3, when I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. So notice the importance of a father and a mother teaching their children. Uh, Solomon is pleading with his sons to not forsake his teaching. Solomon 
also highlighted how his father, King David, taught him when he was a tender child. And by tender, uh, Solomon is acknowledging that he was young, he was pliable, he was teachable. He was like a sponge soaking up water when he listened to his father's teaching. Even many years later, Solomon still remembers being taught by his father. King David... King David had impressed upon his son Solomon that he was going to know wisdom um, uh, and, or, and have a relationship with wisdom. If he was going to have that, he must be attentive to wisdom. Now, so far in our study in Proverbs, we've already learned how Solomon portrays wisdom as lady wisdom. Um, David does that Also, here in verse 6, he says, Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. Uh, David also taught in verse 8, saying, Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. So, I'm thankful for the example of King David teaching his son, who then taught his sons in perfect as they were. And I say that because we know Solomon started well, but he didn't end so well. But today, what we have uh, is something far better. Uh, Today, what we have um, that our Heavenly Father has given to us, teaching His Son, uh, who now teaches us, is far better. Perfect, actually. And when we look back at Proverbs, an Old Testament book, when we look back at Proverbs from from the lens of the New Testament, from the perspective of the New Testament, we also know that wisdom is a person. We're taught that Jesus is wisdom to us from God, 1 Corinthians 1.30. Jesus fully embodies the wisdom taught in Proverbs. Jesus was attentive to his Father's words perfectly. And now, Jesus teaches us. Jesus is the sage who imparts instruction, teaching, knowledge, insight, and wisdom. Jesus teaches us to be attentive to him who embodies God's wisdom fully so that we will know him. So David taught his son, Solomon. Solomon taught his sons. And Even more, when we come to the New Testament, we know that God the Father taught His Son, Jesus. Uh, Luke 2.52 says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Jesus heard the words of His Father and kept them perfectly. And now, Jesus teaches us so that we can know Him and the Father. And as we reflect on this, and we think about this, we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus also teaches parents to teach their children. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In fact, we, we see again and again in Scripture the importance and the primacy of parents teaching their children, and fathers in particular. Deuteronomy 6 Verses 4 through 7 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, 
and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So the commands of God are first learned by fathers and mothers and then they are to diligently teach what they have learned to their children daily in the normal course of life. Parents must learn wisdom from Jesus before they can impart wisdom to others. Now, Psalm 78, uh, verses 1 through 4, also acknowledges the role of fathers in teaching their children, but also speaks of the community of the redeemed teaching the next generation. Uh, Listen to verse 1 of Psalm 78, and incidentally, the the curriculum that we use here at Grace Hill Church, use, that, w- that we use for children and, and youth, is called Truth 78, and that name comes from Psalm 78. It comes from what we are going to read here, beginning with verse 1. It says this, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. And then the psalmist says this, verse 4, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. So it's not just parents teaching their children, it's also the community of the redeemed passing on the faith to the next generation. So we must not hide the glorious deeds of the Lord from the next generation. We must not hide the gospel from the next generation. We, in fact, even more, a big part of the Great Commission found in Matthew chapter 28 is a command for disciple-makers. That's those of you who are alive in Christ. Disciple-makers are taught to teach and make other disciples, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has taught and commanded. So that includes children, but it includes other uh, adults, people of all ages. So the desire to know wisdom or to know Jesus um, um, is something that that we need to be attentive to. So we learn from Jesus, we follow Jesus, and we influence others to do the same. Now, one of the primary reasons we are having a chili fest here at church on September the 28th, is that correct? 30th, thank you. I didn't think it was right. Uh, On September the 30th, uh, Saturday from 3 to 6, Really, the primary purpose for doing that is to give us an opportunity to really think carefully about the responsibility that God has placed on our shoulders to think about people who are outside the church. We want to pray for them. We want to reach out to them. We want to get to know them. We want to develop a relationship with them. We want to minister the gospel to them. And we also want to invite them to come to that event and introduce them to the church. Introduce them to the kinds of things that we do here at the church. And so 
Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that, but we encourage you to prayerfully be a part of that. Um, so be attentive to wisdom to know wisdom. Secondly, be attentive to wisdom to walk or live in wisdom. Solomon again gives, he repeats it again, he gives a command to hear or to listen or to accept his words. And here he also gives a promise to the one who does. Notice verse 10, hear my words, uh, hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. So it's a command to hear Accept his words, and the promise is that your years of life may be many. Now, if we just stop right there for a moment, what do those words make you think of? Um, It makes me think of the New Testament in John chapter 5, verse 21, where we read something very similar. It says this in John, Jesus said in John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So in a way, far greater than Solomon, Jesus shows us how hearing his words and accepting or believing his words will result in long life, in fact, eternal life. And it's important to note that his words certainly told the story of what the Father had sent him to the earth to do to save a people for the Father's glory. Now, Solomon goes on in verse 11. He says, I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. So, again, notice it. Solomon taught his son. He had revealed to his son the way of wisdom. He had led his son in the path of uprightness. And on that path, his son would have protection. Your steps will not be hampered and you will not stumble. So there is no better place to be than on the path or the way of wisdom, the path of the upright, that the Father has revealed to His Son. And because of that, the Father emphasizes the need for the Son to keep hold of His instructions. Don't let go of my teachings. Guard her, for she is your life. Solomon is saying, I have taught you. What I have taught you will give you life. Again, this this makes me think of what Jesus teaches us at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus gives us a a rich discourse on how life should be lived by those who've been called to belong to his kingdom. And after his teaching, after his teaching, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, and I quote, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like, a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And 
The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and, a, and great was the fall of it. So what I want you to notice is the protection experienced by the one who hears Jesus' words and puts them into practice. That's the path of uprightness. That is where you find life. But in stark contrast, notice also the path of the wicked, a path that Solomon wants his son to avoid. He says, stay away from this path. And Solomon begins in verse 14, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble and they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Now, Judas Iscariot would have done well to heed this warning, but he didn't. Um, We know that Judas spent the same amount of time with Jesus as the other 11 disciples. Uh, We know Judas was even trusted to keep the money bag of the disciples. But we learn later that he used to steal from that money bag. We know that he also complained when Mary wasted, quote-unquote, wasted expensive ointment when she honored Jesus by anointing his his feet and wiping them with her hair. He, He even sounded pious when he said that that money could have been used to help meet the needs of the poor. It's also possible that Judas agreed to betray Jesus because he thought it would force Jesus' hands to overthrow the Romans. Maybe he just wanted Jesus to be king as he thought he should be. In in his own mind, it, it was a good plan, but the truth of the matter is Satan had put the thought of betraying Jesus into his mind, and he went with it. And we know, unfortunately, how the story ended. Judas Iscariot did betray Jesus. He also later recognized that he betrayed innocent blood, but he didn't repent. Instead, he took his own life. And I say all of that to say this. Judas undoubtedly entered the path of evil with one small step. But before he knew it, he was walking on the path of evil. And before you know it, his life was destroyed by evil. Solomon says, do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk on the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Take away from it and pass on. I think it's also important to remember that on another occasion, Jesus told his disciples that, He's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer many things from the chief priests and Pharisees. He was going to be killed. And then on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Well, when Peter heard this, uh, Peter began to rebuke Jesus, (laughs) telling him that this should never happen. And you remember how Jesus responded to Peter? He said to Peter and Matthew 1623, get behind me, Satan. 
You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Um, Later on, Jesus told Peter that Satan had, in fact, demanded to have him, to sift him like wheat. But Jesus said, I prayed for you that your faith might not fail. Peter would deny knowing Jesus three times, but Jesus restored Peter and kept him faithful to the end. So what happened to Peter, what happened to Peter is our only hope. Jesus coming to our rescue. Folks, the enemy is real. And the truth of the matter is this. All of us were at one time on the path of evil. If you're a Christian this morning, it's because Jesus rescued you. He brought you back to God. And he did that through the death of Jesus on the cross. Listen as I read Colossians 2, 12 through 15. I quote, you were raised with him, raised with Christ, through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Praise praise God. Our, Our only hope is Jesus coming to our rescue. Uh, Jesus puts us on the path of wisdom, and on that path, we will find protection. We are given protection. But wisdom also warns us to not enter the path of the wicked or to walk in the way of evil. Solomon said that. The Spirit also says that through Peter. Listen as I read 1 Peter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So wisdom wants you to understand the path of uprightness and the path of wickedness could not be more different. Verses 18 and 19 of Proverbs 4 say this, But the path of the righteous is the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The path of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Be attentive to wisdom, to walk or live in wisdom. And our third and final point this morning is this, be attentive to wisdom, to desire wisdom. Solomon Again says, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. 
put away from your crooked speech and uh, put, put away uh, from your crooked speech and put d- devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all of your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. No, notice how Solomon says your whole being is involved with being attentive to wisdom. You must have ears uh, to hear his sayings. Um, he says, don't let your eyes look uh, or lose sight of his words. He talks about being vigilant and keeping your heart. Don't let crooked words come out of your mouth. Don't let your feet swerve to the right or to the left. But there seems to be, so your whole body is involved in being attentive to, to wisdom, but there seems to be a focus, a focus, a special focus on your heart. Verse 23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Or as the NIV says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life. So your entire life is impacted by what's in your heart. So with all vigilance or above all else, guard or protect your heart. The question is, what is the heart? Unfortunately, today, people often think of heart only as your feelings or emotions. But when the Bible talks about heart, it means much more. The heart is the control center of your being. The heart is the mind, the emotions, and the moral will working together to control what you think and say and do and feel. So what is in your heart will determine how you live. What is in your heart will spill over into how you live. Uh, Jesus said, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart or your desire will also be. And it's not always pretty. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, 18 and 19, but what comes out of the heart, or excuse me, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, and slander. In Luke chapter 6, 43 through 45, Jesus says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks so a bad heart produces bad fruit Um, but Jesus also says a good heart produces good fruit which begs the question where does a good heart come from Jeremiah 13 23 asked the question can a leopard change his spots 
Um, and then he says, if it can, then you who are accustomed to doing evil can learn to do good. But we know that a leopard can't change who he is and a sinner can't change his heart. So again, where does a good heart come from? Is there hope for a sinner to actually begin to do good rather than evil? Can, can a sinner be changed? Is there hope for a thief? Is there hope for the adulterer or for the idolater? Is there hope for the drunkard? Is there hope for the one consumed by fear and worry? We know that what is in our heart comes out. When you squeeze a lemon, what comes out? Can a bitter spring produce fresh water? Can a thorn bush produce delicious apples? No. Apples come from an apple tree. A sinner cannot be reformed. He or she must be born again. And that is the promise of the new covenant that's established with the shed blood of Jesus. The promise in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 and 27, says it best. This is what Jesus promises for those saved by the gospel. And I quote, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you the heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Praise God. If in the, in the gospel we, we are forgiven, we are reconciled to God, but the gospel also produces a new heart in us, the old stubborn heart that is unable and unwilling to obey, obey God is transplanted with a new heart that is soft and responsive and able and willing to listen to Jesus and follow Jesus. Our, our sin problem doesn't need a band-aid. Our sin problem needs a heart transplant. Our, our sin problem won't be fixed with behavior modification. It will be fixed only when the Spirit gives us a brand new control center, a new heart. That's the hope of the gospel. That's what God can do only through Christ by his spirit. A, a bad heart produces bad fruit. We understand that. We've experienced that. It's ugly. It's not good. But when Jesus by the spirit gives us a new heart, we can expect good fruit to begin growing in our life. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What a, what a contrast to the bad fruit that comes from a sinful heart. Paul then says in verse 25 of Galatians 5, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And I think that is the idea behind Solomon's instruction to guard above all else, guard your heart. If Jesus, if Jesus has given you a new heart that desires him 
above all else, guard that heart. See to it that what you believe and how you think lines up with Scripture. See to it that your emotions and feelings are transformed by the Holy Spirit. Learn to rejoice in the Lord. See to it that you develop patterns of obedience to Jesus. If you have been given a new heart, be diligent about listening to Jesus and following Jesus because that is where you will find life, not death. And that's what I want for each of you this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for your wisdom. We're grateful that you always know what is right. You always know what is best. We're thankful for Jesus, whom you sent to reveal wisdom to us, to be wisdom for us. We're thankful that it is through the work that you sent your son to do on the cross that we can be rescued from our sin, forgiven, justified, accepted by you, counted righteous in Christ. But then, Father, we know that you, by your spirit, begins that work of transforming us. And you've given us a new heart that has new desires Father, forgive us, forgive us for those times when, when we've looked at our own sin, we've seen our own problems, we've, for, forgive us for those times when we think we just must try harder, we must do more, and that we, we think that we can find the solution in, in ourselves when, Father, the problem is so our, our sin. We know, we believe, your word is clear. Our problem is so deep and so wide that only what Jesus does is sufficient. Only through Jesus can we be forgiven. Only through Jesus, by your spirit, can we be transformed. Father, we were dead you brought us to life. You've gave us a new heart. You've planted a desire, a new desire in our heart to listen to the voice of Jesus and to follow Jesus. And I pray, Father, that you would help us as a church, help us as individuals, young and old alike, to just see our only hope comes first by being rescued by Jesus trusting in the work that he did on the cross. But Father, help us also to see that if we're going to change and grow, it's going to be you at work in us, enabling us, empowering us to do that. So Father, when we acknowledge that there are desires in our hearts to trust you, to obey you, to listen to you, to follow you, May, may we also recognize that that's really the work of your spirit, giving us that desire. And so help, help us to know that life is only possible through your spirit. Help us then to keep in step with your spirit. Help us to be attentive to wisdom so that 
Uh, Lord, we can desire wisdom more and more. I'm thankful for each one that's here. I'm thankful that we can be together. I'm thankful for your word, and I pray that you would take the truths of your word and apply it to the heart of each one as only you can do, meeting the needs of each one according to their good and your glory. So help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.